I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female, where every week I speak with women changemakers who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. Today, my guest is Saran Gibrasilassi, a Toronto-based lawyer, activist, and entrepreneur who has established a reputation as a daring human rights advocate and who has been at the forefront of several high-profile cases, including a million-dollar lawsuit against Starbucks, where she represented a barista who was forced to work with her alleged assaulter. Her defense of BLM protesters in Toronto, or her work with thousands of Haitian migrants trying to cross into Canada. Saron joined the race for Toronto mayor in the 2018 elections, and she made it to fourth place. Today, she continues to represent and fight for those facing injustice, and she tells us there is a 2022 race in her future. Here is our conversation. Saran, it's such a pleasure welcoming you to The Brand is Female today. Thank you for joining me. And I'm going to jump right in with my first question, uh, which is usually how I like to start these conversations and asking you to go back in time a little bit. Growing up, did you already dream of a career in law? Yeah. You know, I didn't. I actually didn't. Um, When I was growing up, I was really involved in the community, school activities, but I wasn't, you know, the person who knew at the age of 10 or 11 that they always just wanted to be a, an attorney or a judge. That wasn't my story. I think when I was younger, what did I want to be when I grew up? I think it was maybe a doctor. This is taking me back so long. I, I actually haven't even thought about it. So yeah, no, I came into it through adulthood. And tell me about that path to figuring out what you wanted to do. And and I can I can tell just having uh, obviously seen your journey a little bit that, you know, fighting injustice and uh, advocating for those uh, who don't have access to uh, to freedom and to and, and, and to justice in, the, in a general sense of the term is something that's obviously a, a driving force within you. But what made you decide to take on that path? And, you know, was was there somebody was an inspiration or was it just through, uh, you know, figuring out that it felt right to pursue a, a, that type of career? Yeah. You know, when I was in undergrad, I was really involved in the student movement. We were a very provocative, fearless movement. Uh, first of all, it was honestly the time of my life. I, I actually, I had an amazing university experience, a very long university career. I'll total of about I think nine years after, you know, U of T and law school and everything. Um, and the student movement was fearless, like absolutely fearless. We were taking on some very controversial issues, very controversial causes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just fell in love with social justice. Um, I saw a lot of students who were taking a lot of risks. Some of my um, classmates were getting expelled for some of their activism, but they were really, really smart people. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were really skilled at advocating for themselves, reversing expulsions. And there was that drive uh, for being on the right side of history. And that's what kept everyone going. And so, you know, through my campus 
activism, it was really obvious that I was going to continue to defend uh, human rights and to have a, a zero tolerance approach to injustice in our country. And so I found myself you know, in law school and, um, and was really successful at that. And so, yeah, I think it was very much about knowing that we were a part of something bigger than ourselves and that we weren't fighting for, you know, individual ambition or individual interests in, the, in that mm -hmm. sense. But really, um, it was really important to me to feel that we were going to bring the change that we want to see and that we were going to make no apologies for doing so. Mm -hmm. And and I admire and 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 love all of that. And I'm so grateful that that experience drove you to to pursue the career that you're having today. Um, and I know that your first experience at a law firm before founding yours um, was a you know a completely different type of firm. And what what made you want to start your own law practice? Yeah, I started my career on Bay Street at a at a very uh, reputable firm. They're called the Seven Sisters. Um, in the city of Toronto. So the Seven Sisters refers to the seven large Bay Street outfits. And so, yeah. And so I started my career at, uh, at a Seven Sister and they were very, I learned a lot. They were very good at what they did. And it was very important for me to, to see how things work in the corporate world and mm -hmm. to see how I was going to bring those skills to my own hometown, to my own community. And, uh, and yeah, they were really good at what they did. It was a no nonsense environment. And it was, it was, um, it's not for the faint of heart. It was, <laughs> it was definitely tough. Like I definitely had, um, uh, it was no walk in the park, but I'm really glad I had that experience. <laughs> and then I, I didn't know I was going to end up opening up shop, but what happened was like, I had graduated. So there's a call to the bar ceremony and, you know, it was, it was bizarre because very quickly after, I, I don't even think it was like a day maybe, you know, maybe a couple days at most, but a friend of mine from my student movement days called and said that a friend of his was arrested on some very serious uh, charges. And it was actually in the media. It was all over the news. So I had heard about it just through watching the news. And then I heard myself say yes. It was crazy. It was absolutely madness. Um, but I heard myself say yes. And then he came to the office and then I took the case. And that, so that was it. You had a law practice from that day on. That was it. That was really all. That was all it took. It was quite the introduction to the world, to the judicial world. It was um, it was not a gentle introduction at all. And that's how it happened. So then one case turned to two, turned to four, turned to what it is today, which is a very, you know, a multi a multi city, mm -hmm. you know, national practice. And I'm curious to know if, and obviously, you know, women in, in law uh, are still underrepresented, still fight gender bias and inequity, especially in large firms. Um, I'm curious to know if there were any women role models for you, anybody that kind of inspired you to pursue this path. Um, and, and, and it could have been a male role model as well, but curious to know if there was kind of that, you know, big sister you could look up to, or maybe still do today. Well, you know, I was kind of the first crop. I mean, I, women are very underrepresented in wholly unacceptable ways. Uh, I was among the first, um, of my community. And so that was a very unique experience 
experience. So I didn't have women I could look up to uh, who shared that unique experience, like that mm-hmm. that heritage. So, you know, the women I looked up to were really on, on television. Right. Um, so American women that, you know, that we see on television that I thought were so inspiring. Uh, the women that you've seen on television, like... Right. When I was in grade two, I think, I remember seeing Marsha Clark on television. And I was like, yeah. I was so sold. Even though in my mind, I didn't say, oh, I want to be like her. Or I wanted to be a lawyer or a prosecutor. I, it just, sometimes it's just this imprint on the mind that just never left me. I still follow her on Twitter to this day. Um, yeah. So to be honest, I didn't really have like parents or grandparents who were in the business uh, that I could that I could look up to. Mm-hmm. So it was a lonely start. Um, and now it's so established that I almost forget how how rocky of a beginning it was. Yeah, um, yeah I wish I had that. But the, the truth is that wasn't really there. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. It, it, some, some women will have it, some women may not have it, and it's okay. Well, and now you're, you play that role for a younger generation of women lawyers graduating, right? They can, they look up to you and your role model for them because you're you are I think a, a pioneer and a, and a trailblazer in this field and you're right I think we've we know of some American women you know I'm think I just watched the seeing all red documentary for example so you know there's a few examples that come to mind they're usually American women they are yes they are usually American women and I do I do play that role my office is very much I'm told by women coming up through law school that they do, they are inspired by the work. And so that's yeah. uh, such a, such a privilege and a luxury to be able to, to play that role. And uh, yeah, I'm a big advocate for, for women. We need more women in the business. Mm-hmm. We really do in the, in the legal community, in the judicial community, we need more women judges. Um, we need more women everywhere. Yeah. And it's not just, equality for equality's sake, we actually get better work. We get better outcomes, you know, from having women uh, leaders at the table. Women mm-hmm. are, are extremely, uh, like, have a, I've just, I've seen different patterns uh, fr- from women in terms of leadership style, in terms of what we bring to the table. And mm-hmm. I think our country is spoiled to have some of the amazing women leadership that we do have. And it's really, it's really just what our country needs, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's how I feel about that. So you've taken on, talking about your work a little bit, you've taken on high profile cases from uh, defending a Starbucks barista uh, who was forced to work with her alleged assaulter. You've worked with Haitian uh, migrants who were trying to get uh, legally into Canada. Um, a lot of your cases end up in media. Um, and uh, more recently, you've worked with uh, BLM protesters. Um, what is what is kind of that driving force and where it takes up so much energy and courage to be fighting these battles, uh, I would imagine, on, a, on an almost daily battle? So what's kind of that driving force for you? What keeps you going, basically? Well, first of all, I absolutely love my job. I think I have the best job in the world. So I would first and foremost tell, you know, tell women, tell, tell anyone who asks for, for some advice is you just have to do the work that you love to do because you're not really working. So Mm -hmm. I don't feel oftentimes that it's, that it's working. Um, It doesn't always feel like, like I'm working. I, it feels very natural, very organic. 
And yeah, and I just really, really enjoy the work. I really like trials. I'm a trial lawyer. Uh, the media often calls me a human rights lawyer, which is true, but um, but I'm, I, I am a trial lawyer and there's just something so spectacular about it all. Like it's a type of performance art and there is something magical that happens there. I called my last appeal 30 minutes of glory because it was just so <laughs> much uh, richness to it all. Mm -hmm. So that's that's one of the driving forces is just that that mesh. It's just like a match um, in terms of the the human rights issues, the injustice uh, that continues to plague our, our society. I do feel that I have a responsibility mm -hmm. yeah. in that and that I, I just couldn't be complacent and just sort of sit on the sidelines and, you know, whatever happens, happens. Like, that's just not really aligned with my values. And so, um, yeah, and we do have a lot of injustice that plagues our city. And so it just is so obvious. Mm -hmm. And so... Yeah the role that I play and the role that my office plays is where it's clear that there's a vacuum in the country, mm -hmm. especially on, on questions of national importance, the, the firm will intervene mm -hmm. because it's a very well-equipped apparatus to do so. So that's what drives me, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I, and I, and I, I think it's, it's, it's so wonderful. And I so admire women who have that, that driving force. And I love that you say that you love your job, right? So it's, when we love what we do, it doesn't feel like work because you're literally, it's the mission that you're called on. Um, and you, you've you been outspoken about a number of issues. And part of that was also because you uh, joined the race. You ran as uh, for in, in the race to become a mayor of Toronto in 2018. And you made it to fourth place, which is very impressive. Um, and some of the issues you've brought up during that campaign and that, that you continue to talk about include everything around uh, uh, equity, defending different minority groups, including BIPOC people, including queer, including women. Um, and then there's a case where you worked, I think, loosely in partnership with BLM and defended BLM protesters. And something you've called attention to is, um, did, and there's kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing different things up, but really my question is going to be around what needs to change in our system? Because I think a lot of the examples that we see, for example, around injustice through the criminal system, obviously being in Canada, we often compare or often facing uh, what's going on in the States, right? And we we see the blatant injustice. We see that uh, BIPOC individuals are, are overrepresented when it comes to incarcerated population, for example. But then when we look at numbers for Canada, there there is that same reality. So it's it's the million dollar question. But how do we enact change? What needs to be fixed in this broken system, and how do we go about it? Yes. Well, my mission is really for change for the, the working class, coming from a working class background myself in terms of my own upbringing and heritage. Uh, I'm very alive to the, to the reality of what it is to be a working class person in this country. Mm -hmm. And I believe change is on its way. I, I genuinely believe that. And what needs to change, the entire economy, the system is catered to a very small percentage of the population. It is 
not cater to the majority of the city that's working class. So mm -hmm. I feel really strongly about creating an affordable society, an affordable and livable city, affordable housing, uh, food security for all, um, equal access to educational opportunities for all, uh, and an overhauling of, of, of the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. uh, having spent so much time in it, I'm very aware of how just time is running out, I think, on, on this uh, mode of operating for, for the criminal justice system in particular. So what needs to change? We need to change the, the, the organization of our society and make mm -hmm. our society one that where working class people can live as, you know, free and equal citizens. Mm -hmm. uh, and we can, we can. And I've had very elaborate um, proposals around that. You'll see in the next election, uh, an even more robust uh, plan around how we do that. But, you know, a lot of it really isn't rocket science. A lot of it is really common sense. So I've called for a reduction in, in the police budget. Uh, mm -hmm. Right now, the police budget is enormous. It's actually shocking how much money goes into the police yeah. budget. Mm -hmm. And so I've called for a redistribution of, of resources within the city budget. Um, I've called for affordable housing. I've called for free transit. And a lot of, you know, in the beginning that was controversial. Today, it's no longer. Um, in 2018, it was. But today, it's, it's really become normalized. Yeah. So it just goes to show we need to change the culture. Yeah. And it's interesting because we saw some of the same issues be at the heart of the recent uh, presidential campaign in the U.S., right? And today it's it's almost like, you know, a, a few years later, now now we're talking about the same issues and we, we realize their importance more. And I agree with you that I think the change is happening. The revolution is taking place, um, but there, there's still a, a lot of work. And luckily we have women like you uh, do, doing their part. Um and I want to ask you something you've also been outspoken about is the uh, the, the the federal government who's still in court fighting uh, survivors of indigenous residential schools. And obviously, we are recording this just after another mass grave has been discovered in in Western Canada. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a tragedy for Canada, but one that we have known about, one we've just been ignoring. Um, and then it does seem like there's there's blatant injustice here, not only because of what happened throughout those years where the schools were still in existence, survivors are alive today and being fought by our own government in court. It's it, To me, it is something, I won't even call it a complex problem because it should not be happening, but why, why is this still going on in 2021? And maybe also for, you know, for our listeners, how can we play a role as citizens to ask that our government act differently in this case. Yeah, I've been I've been following that battle for a long time in uh in the in the courts, uh thanks to the work of the amazing Cindy Blackstock and some of my actual own faculty members who uh, are on that case and Levesque and others who we will never be able to repay for the work that they have done. Um so in terms of the court battle, so that the, the federal government needs to just stop altogether, just it needs to end and drop the court fights. They are, mm -hmm. it's not, and it's not just bread and butter litigation. They are really doubling down. So make no mistake when we say the words fighting 
in court, it is really that. It is really that. They, it is, it is a vicious type of litigation that they have embarked on for so long. Um, I support the call for the resignation of Carolyn Bennett, who is the Minister of the Crown Indigenous uh, Relations um, in the aftermath of recent events um, in terms of uh, in terms of just her handling of the file altogether. Um, yeah. yeah. And, 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 la and lack of support really for what our Indigenous communities are going for when that is her responsibility. And at a time when the world is watching Kamloops and Saskatchewan and Ottawa with the court battle uh, there. So that court battle, the, the federal government needs to surrender. The crown needs to adhere to the to the judgments mm -hmm. that were already rendered, requiring the federal government to compensate First Nations children. They need to drop their appeals, and the war needs to end because it is what they have declared an all-out war uh, mm -hmm. in the courts, and uh, and that's just scratching the surface in terms of what needs to be done. But um, there's something about this court battle in this time when we're under the microscope of, of the international community that is particularly misguided. And um, I'm just so, I'm in disbelief that the crown continues its battle in court. I'm in disbelief. And uh, and I think we also need to start learning the names, who's who, no more anonymity. Yeah. Who are the yeah. crown counsel? Who is, who are, who is on this? Who, whose legacy, uh, is going to be affected by this. So a lot of people don't know names. They know the mm. names of the defense team. They don't know the names of the crown's team. They don't mm. know the names of them. And that anonymity also needs to needs to go. We mm -hmm. need to we need to know uh, because they benefit from the anonymity. Yeah, they're so they're protecting themselves. They are. They mm. are. And I think we need to shine a light on that. The truth uh, needs to come out. And if this is a side of history that the Crown's Council wants to be on, then let the country know who they are. Mm -hmm. um, and then for going back to, you know, what everyday citizens can do to kind of, I think there's a lot of people who understand the, the need to uh, to speak up, but uh, we don't always know where to start, right? When we're not able to be in court fighting, um, you know, is something like writing to our MPs, writing to our PM, uh, is that the kind of being outspoken on social media about it? Is that the kind of citizen action that you think can have an impact? I do. I do believe that has an, that, that will have an impact. And my message is everything counts. Every letter, every tweet, every vote, every petition that's signed, it all matters. I read, a, I actually have my office and myself read through long threads on Twitter to see what members of the community were saying in relation to uh, the battle with uh, the Crown fighting First Nations children in court. We read tons of comments, just and we—it's data. It's a form of intelligence, and so it is mm -hmm. viewed. It is read. It's taken seriously. And I saw, like I can't even remember how many, so many comments. Almost every single comment said stop fighting First Nations children in court. And then mm -hmm. it was an avalanche, a complete avalanche. And then it resulted in legislative action. We saw a bill that was introduced in parliament by Jagmeet Singh and um, and that you, yeah. 
you know, I think I think the vote was two seventy six zero or something like that. The minister abstained mm. and uh, the prime minister abstained on that vote. But it all matters. Um, I can tell you a tweet that you think, oh, no one's paying attention to this. It only has, you know, two or three uh, endorsements or two or three likes. Oh, they pay attention. I, I know this because I've seen it. I've seen it before. Mm -hmm. I've seen litigation. I've seen a lot of litigation around Twitter in the past couple of years. It's a big deal. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So intervening in the public discourse is important. It helps. Even even when we feel like our lonely tweet or post might not go very far, it all, it all adds up, right? Yeah, it does. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs. Confidently building your business takes sound advice, plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaboration-based approach. They work with both internal and external partners who can provide education, financing, mentorship, and community support. TD employees are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. They can facilitate and connect you with workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. Do you ever wonder what goes on behind the scenes of your favorite homegrown films and TV shows? Well, it's time to pop some popcorn, go behind the camera, and meet the people who are making it happen. I'm Mariska Fernandez, host of the Maple Popcorn Podcast. In this new series, you will discover exclusive interviews with Canadian icons and hear them talk about Canadian flicks and even break the fifth wall to share set anecdotes. This podcast is produced by The Brand is Female and powered by Telefilm Canada. Subscribe now on the podcast app of your choice and don't miss an episode. Stay in the know by visiting telefilm.ca slash see it all. So when you've had, you know, and, and a lot of this work I brought up before, it's it's gruesome, it's difficult and you're, you know, it can feel, I can imagine it feels like an uphill battle uh, often. What what is something that um, you a practice or something a belief? How do you deal with adversity or where, where, when you feel like something's falling, everything's falling apart, and you're you know you're not, not going to get where you want to get? Um, how how do you kind of stay grounded and find um, find your balance within within a situation like that? It's a great question. Um, adversity. Hmm. So adversity is it's it's it is really important to learn how to, to learn how to manage adversity. Adversity is actually really important. Adversity teaches us uh, something we did not know about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you through my own experiences of adversity in the world of politics and in the courts is that we actually need it. So it's something to lean into mm -hmm. and to welcome and to embrace. It's not something to, to make an enemy out of because there is tremendous growth on the other side. You wouldn't mm. even believe. Mm. Um, and so my first uh, approach to it is not to run from it, to lean into it mm -hmm. uh, and to stretch. If I didn't have the experiences of adversity I've had, I, I wouldn't be uh, 
our apparatus would not be as strong as it is today. Um, and the success that has been had wouldn't wouldn't be possible without that uh, without that adversity. So it's taught me a lot. I also really believe in practices around gratitude and optimism um, and really like mm -hmm. practicing joy. Mm -hmm. um, I'm in the West Coast right now. So I'm a like, I really love nature and greenery and water. Um, and so these, yeah. you know, as part of one's practice of advocacy it, it's it's important to um to really lead a healthy life and to lead a joyful life um and and to find those uh those things that um that you know keep one one grounded so having you know um some people have a faith practice uh you know um, and different kinds of of practices to integrate in, in, in daily life. Um, a lot of beautiful nature certainly helps. So yeah. Yeah. Yes. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I love that. Keep it, keeping grounded in nature, right. Is it's, is, is what gives us the strength to, uh, to face everything else in our lives. I agree. Yeah. And I want to connect that because you're, you're a black woman, you know, fighting difficult causes. You are a black woman who ran in an election, I am sure you are facing um, different levels of negative, you know, feedback across social platforms, probably a level of harassment and bullying as well. And how how do you deal with it? And what would be your advice to women? Because unfortunately, outspoken women who, you know, take a, a position on any cause often face the backlash of online bullies. And I think it's a reality shared by many of us. Uh, so I'm I'm wondering what that looks like for you and what what is your advice for women dealing with that? Yeah, well, you know, I think with women in public life in general, whether it's, uh, you know, elected officials or um, members of the Canadian press, uh, can encounter pu like public hostility. Um, I don't really take take it in. I don't read comments. So I've never actually been exposed to it because the doors aren't even open to it anyway. So um right. good for you. Yeah. So there's like there's there's safeguards in place to to You have boundaries in place to to manage that. Yeah, absolutely. So um yeah and then just you know constantly leaning in on 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 the 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 positive members of the public because for every negative comment yeah. they're quickly outpowered by the positive ones and mm -hmm. um and so yeah and so yeah really just you know staying staying grounded and um and appreciative and leaning into the 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 positivity that that people people bring and i think a lot of people feel mm. really inspired and hopeful by some of the the work that has come out of uh you know out of you know out of the elections and out of my yeah. office and so yeah we're here for the working class so i get a lot of uh inspiration from the working class also yeah yeah and that positive support obviously is is great fuel uh, i i imagine yeah 
Um, we are emerging from what feels like a really long time, but something like 16, 18 months of uh, our reality with the COVID pandemic. And we know women have been affected more so than any other group. And women are, you know, really bearing the 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 hardships and the and the impact of of what this crisis has brought forth when it comes to domestic violence, job loss, increased responsibilities around childcare, uh, et cetera, the list goes on. Um, what would you say is going to be really important as we emerge from the COVID era uh, to make sure that women are not losing any of the gains, um, any of the gains that we have that we've gained over the past uh, over the past few years, and how do we make sure we're not going backwards when it comes to equity? Yes, I am really appalled by the by the this level of setback. Like the clock has turned back for women mm-hmm. um, in Ontario, but all over the country. Um, and first off, for women, I would say now is not the time to be modest. Demand better. We deserve so much better uh, than 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 this. So I would really implore women who are dealing with a setback uh, this past year in a whole variety of ways. Um, It's time for our comeback. And I would say that women, you know, should be unapologetic about about their needs, about their Mm -hmm. expectations uh, around it all. I think COVID-19, the pandemic, this is all a cause cause for reevaluation. Everything is up for reevaluation uh right now. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's also an opportunity. We can actually turn this on its head and say, you know, this has taught us that anything goes at this point, right? We mm-hmm. have as as women and as a society, we have endured so much loss this past year. It's unforgivable what has happened this past year. To our community, but especially to women. Um, and I don't know if women will ever forgive society for what has taken has transpired this past year. Um, yeah. And so I'm still myself processing what all of this means. But for now, some of the conclusions I have drawn is that uh, we need to be uh, audacious. We need to make no apologies for any of our needs, expectations, uh, and uh, we need to say no to anything that doesn't Mm -hmm. serve us. Um, Demand uh, better pay and no way that, that we're going to just accept this turning back of the clock in this way, like it's business as usual. So... Uh, so those are some of my preliminary thoughts. I'm sure I'll have many more, uh, but thank you for asking. It's really important. We'll connect with, we'll do a, we'll do a follow-up on a full, uh, post COVID plan for women, but those are, I think those are already a great direction. And what would be your advice to young women considering a career, you know, maybe as human rights lawyers or activists, because there's other paths than than law as well, right? In 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 fighting the good fight, 
Um, what, what, what's your advice to these women and what would you recommend they keep in mind or things that you, you'd recommend they start doing if they are considering that kind of career? Yeah, I mean, the world is your oyster. It's yours for the taking. And I would say never ask permission to lead. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you want to be mindful of who's around, like who, you know, who your friends, mm -hmm. who, you, who your support group is, who your friends are. Um, and also to ignore the naysayers because there are so many and they don't retire and they're going to always be a part of a part of one's life and one's career yeah. and one's path. So I always tell young women to just like, you just gotta usher it out. All of the, um, yeah. all of those voices of, of doubt and insecurity and whatnot. And, and it's really, um, and just to go for it. I would say, go for it. You mm -hmm. can, um, you can be very successful in whatever career, uh, in whatever path, whether you want to do, um, whether you want to do non-traditional work, whether you want to do controversial, you know, whether your work is more chaotic work, whether it's more, um, you know, whether it's in the world of activism or in our courts or whether it's, you know, our, our next uh, premier or prime minister. I mean, it's it all belongs to you. So it's mm -hmm. all yours for the taking. That would be uh, my advice. That's great advice. And my last question, which is my favorite question to ask women on, on this podcast is, what do you wish women would do or could do less of? Oh, hmm. Less apologizing. That's a good one. Yeah. Less apologizing, less retreating, less like uh, sort of um, almost like shrinking of the self mm -hmm, that sometimes mm -hmm. can happen with women. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to see less less self-doubt yeah all of those things that i don't i don't see our male counterparts battling in the way women do true absolutely <laughs> yeah those are great ones well thank you so much saran it was a pleasure speaking with you and uh, thank you again for all the important work you're doing uh for communities uh you know across across in your city in your in your province and and for all of us as women as well and uh, i look forward to seeing what's next for you thanks for coming on today thank you eva thanks for your fantastic instagram account and please follow the 2022 election which will uh definitely be worth the watch we can't wait we'll keep an eye out thank you so much and best of luck thank you I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs, for the support of The Brand is Female. You got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening. I'll be back in a week with a new guest. Yeah.